Psalm chapter number 54. Keep the rest of us in prayer because if Mama gets incapacitated, we're going to be a mess. Last time Grace was in the hospital for a few days, I showed up to church and didn't realize that my suit jacket didn't match my pants until <laughs> I was in the pulpit. So, <laughs> you don't understand. I can't survive without grace. You just don't understand. The last few days were so difficult for me. I went over my clothes five times before I left, you know. Oh, I'm half kidding. Not, not totally kidding. Psalm chapter number 54, the Bible says here to the chief musician on Neganoth, Mashal. A psalm of David, when the Ziphims came, and said to Saul, doth, David, doth not David hide himself with us? Verse number 1, Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble. And mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brian, uh, would you please pray and ask the Lord to bless the preaching. Amen. By the way, he prayed, thank the Lord for getting us back safely. Uh, one of the other preachers uh, left on uh, Saturday, I think it was, uh, Saturday morning, and his plane caught on fire in the air, <laughs> and they wound up having to make an emergency landing, and he was stuck, I think, in, uh, what? Utah, wasn't it? Yeah. You remember? So, somewhere around there. So, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm glad I'm home safely. That was nice to hear before I got on a plane, you know. <laughs> did, did I just laugh at that? <laughs> It's not funny. All right. Let's get to Psalm 54 here before I make a bigger mess of this. Uh, don't forget here we're in context of Psalm chapter 53. And I talked to you about this, how it said, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Corrupt are they. They have done abominable iniquity, right? And that was in reference to Doeg the Edomite and how he's a man that's just completely rejected the fact that there even is a God. What guy would go and slaughter a bunch of the priests of God if he had the fear of God in him? He obviously had convinced himself there is no God at all. And so here he is, and that was also back in chapter number 52. If you look at the title, it talks about a psalm of David when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. So in the preceding chapters leading up to chapter number 54, we have this context of not only the tribulation, but an extremely wicked man and extremely wicked people. And I talked to you about the fool last week and the fool's path and how the fool says in his heart there's no God. He doesn't want to even consider that one day he's going to answer to God. And it's not a mind thing because naturally in your mind you know there's a God. 
Uh, even children naturally know there's a God. I mean, it is instinctive in our human nature. God's built it into your conscience and he's built it into creation around you. In your mind, you realize there's a God. And that does bring fear when you're intelligent enough, when you haven't desensitized yourself enough through education and through sin. That brings fear into the soul because you know you're a sinner. And when somebody prefers their sin over God, prefers their sin over accountability, they get to a point where they don't want to admit there is a God. And so it's the fool that said in his heart, there's no God, right? Not in his mind. He says it in his heart. That's the context coming into Psalm chapter 54. When we get into Psalm chapter 54, what we're dealing with is a bunch of snakes. Uh, the, the Ziphims, the people of Ziph. What these people did is they betrayed David. They're actually very wicked men. So historically speaking, we're looking at a psalm here that is, that is showing us the heart of a man while he's in his process of God preparing him for the real work God had later for his life. Grab a hold of that. David, at this point, when he's writing this psalm, he's not even yet 30 years of age. He's writing this psalm down in a time of life when the pressure is on him. The problems just won't stop. He's getting it from every single angle he can possibly get it from. The resistance is overwhelming. He just gets to all new lows all the time. It's like right when he can't get any lower, something else happens. Right when it can't get any worse, more bad news rolls in. And it's that breaking process that God puts a man through when God plans to use a man or a woman, there is first a breaking process that comes in your life. That's part of it. Uh, you can try to get around it all you want, but if you really want God to use you, God will break you before God will make you. And God's really working through the process of breaking David in this psalm. And how God does it is he uses people, which is one of the worst ways God can do it. Uh, there's three different areas of problems you can have. Uh, one of them's financial. One of them's physical. That's health. The other one's family. You know the worst of those three problems is family. Better to have health problems than it is to have family problems. It's better to have financial problems than it is to have family problems. You know why? Family involves people. Nothing hurts more than people that betray you. Nothing hurts more than people that backstab you. Nothing hurts more than people that were on your side and aren't on your side anymore. Nothing hurts more than people that present themselves as though they love you, present themselves as though they're your friend, and then later they turn around and betray you. They turn on you. They cheat on you. They do whatever it is that breaks your heart. Nothing hurts worse. And David's in a situation in this psalm where these people had pretended like they were his friend. They had taken him in. They had put him up in their strongholds while he is running from Saul, and then they turn around and they backstab him to Saul. They set him up to Saul and try to have him and his men murdered, destroyed by Saul after pretending they're on his side, pretending they're snakes is what they are. And the longer you live, the sooner you're going to run into this. Historically speaking, that's what we're dealing with. But doctrinally speaking, this is a tribulation passage. And you know that by verse number three, the end of the verses say law. I told you when we began the book of Psalms, all the way through Psalms, when you see the word Selah, you know that the context doctrinally is the tribulation period. And that's exactly what we're dealing with. We get to see people here in the tribulation and get to see just exactly how wicked they are. It says in verse 3, strangers are risen up against me and oppressors seek after my soul. Why? 
What, what did David do to the men of Ziph? Nothing. They're literally wicked men that rose up against him and want to oppress his soul, and he's done nothing against them. I mean, to oppress means, means it's an oppressor is one who oppresses. It's with unjust laws and unreasonable severity, one that imposes unjust burdens on others. That's an oppressor. Somebody who unjustly puts pressure on you. Go with me, if you would, please, to the book of Matthew. Keep your finger here in Psalms. Go over with me to the book of Matthew. I want to show you something. I want to show you what it's going to be like in the tribulation period. Matthew chapter number 24. And this is important. It does have bearing on us, okay? I'll tell you why in just a minute. Matthew chapter 24 and look at verse number 10. It says, And then shall many be offended. Hmm. And shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. So in the context, the, his, his, his disciples are asking him in verse number 10, what shall the sign of thy coming be and the end of the world? And then the Lord Jesus Christ launches into what the signs are going to be of his coming. The signs of Christ's coming is the tribulation period. So as far as the rapture is concerned, just be ready. Because he might wait 100 years and he might come tonight. But as far as the sign of his second coming, he said, okay, here's some signs before I come back. This is what's going to go on in the world. Verse 7, uh, verse 6, wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It's famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. But these are the beginning of sorrows. They will deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. The whole world is going to hate Israel. False prophets are going to arise in verse number 11. In verse number 12, because of iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. It's a tribulation passage. Actually, if we took the time, we read the whole chapter, it talks about the tribulation period. Now, here's what I want you to see. Back in verse number 10, many shall be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. You know what you live in the day and age of? Ultra offenses. Everybody gets offended about everything. You have to be paranoid. I mean, you have to be paranoid about everything. I mean, if I say, thank you, ma'am. I've, I've literally, I've held the door for women and been yelled at in the last few months. Hold, pull the door open for a woman and have them like literally, go ahead, go ahead. I got it, I got it. You know, I want to be like, no, oh, okay. I did not just do that. <laughs> like, I, okay, okay, if you're that much of a bull, you know, I mean, you're that much of a man. It's just, it's just unbelievably ridiculous. You mean holding the door open for a lady is now offensive. Actually, being a gentleman is now, that's an offensive thing? Ma'am, can I just say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying not to be too mean tonight, but can I just say, if you're offended because a man is trying to be a gentleman, you are off your stinking rocker. You have lost your mind. You ought to demand that your boyfriend is a gentleman. Your dad ought to expect it. But not nowadays. It's, everything's offensive all the time. Man, it was so cool sitting over there at the service. I had Brian on this side and Anthony Rudolph on the other side. You know why that was cool? Because when we're together, nobody's hypersensitive about anything. We're friends. 
That's literally all there is to it. Hey, man, good to see you. Hug, handshake, how you been? Sit down, talk. We're friends. There's nothing there. You understand what I'm saying? There's nothing there. I lean over to him in church. I'm like, hey, I just realized something. He's like, what? I'm like, we got Ham, Japheth, Shem right here. He started laughing. I said, only God can do that, you know? <laughs> like, absolutely not. Why? Because, hey, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, I recognize what that offense means, but that sure is a great application of that verse. When you love the Bible, when you love the truth, when you love the Lord, nothing is stronger, nobody has a stronger mindset, stronger emotions than somebody who is rock solid on the Word of God, standing on the book. Listen, people can come around me that live like hell, and I'm not offended by it, although I believe it's wrong, I'm not for it, I'm against it, I'm not offended by it. I'm going to get on the plane, and man, we're flying into L.A., and then from there into San Francisco. My goodness, man. I'm talking, I'm talking all-out flamers. I'm talking, not transvestites, male, flamers. I mean, the stiletto heels like that tall, but thick, you know, high-heeled, whatever those pump things are. They got a special name for them. I don't remember what it is, but... They're all over my house, but I don't remember, because I have nothing but girls. None of them are mine. You understand that, right? <laughs> Skinny jeans have now gone to a whole new level. Those were, they were wearing those. Kind of rolled up halfway up the calf with the pumps. I want to make sure they can see my beautiful pumps, whatever these things are. Skin-tight pink little jacket vest things that my daughters would wear. A Immerse. Eyeliner. Fingernails. We're going to get in line to get on the plane, and I'm like, God, please help my seat not to be in the middle of that for six hours. Oh, please, God. And then God said, well, I know the hearts, don't I? I said, if one of them is looking for you and it's your will, I acquiesce. Do you know what that is? That means I admit you're right and I'm wrong in protest. <laughs> like, I, I know you're right, but I still don't like it. So if one of them really is looking for you and that's what you want, then fine. This is me and God. Just, but please. And thank God, none of them must have been looking for God because we weren't anywhere near. I wasn't anywhere near him. And that, but you're, you, don't you understand the point I'm making? Yeah, that, that lifestyle is very offensive to me. Because it's unnatural and it's wrong according to God. But a Christian, it does make you nervous. It makes you uncomfortable. But a Christian isn't offended by it. It doesn't mess me up and trip me up. Actually, if one of them wants to know the truth of the Word of God, I'll sit down and open the Bible and I'll show them what God says about salvation and try to tell them how Jesus Christ can wash away their sin and deliver them from their sin. And more importantly, deliver them from hell eternally. See the difference? Not them. In other words, they won't be okay with you being a Christian. They won't be okay with you carrying a Bible. I, I'm telling you, the pressure in that whole environment, in that whole city, the pressure on the Christians is palpable. I, I'm wearing my suit. I'm getting ready to go to the church. I walk through the lobby, and I'm carrying my Bible. And I refuse to carry it in like a hidden fashion, you know. I just refuse to do that. So I got my Bible, and it's out in the open. I kind of carry it like this, like I'm going to pose for a picture, you know, the preacher, you know. 
I don't do this when I walk into church, but when I'm walking through a crowd like that, I'm like smiling, you know. You know me and smiling, we're really comfortable together, you know. So I didn't. I just put my glasses on. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the looks I'm getting. You know Michigan's liberal, right? And, and there's a lot of pressure on Christians here, right? Uh, you know what? Thank God you're here. Because there are places it's much worse in this country. Walking through there, you would not believe the death stares I'm getting just carrying a Bible. Just, just walking with my Bible like this, you wouldn't believe the. And the funny thing is, they don't stand right in the way. They step back. Male and female. Both doing the female look. <laughs> that was for both of them. <laughs> Very gender neutral, you know. Why? They're offended. You know, as you get closer and closer to the tribulation period, that thing's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. You need to know how to handle snakes. I'm telling you, you need to know how to handle snakes that'll turn on you. Because that's what we're getting close to. Back to Psalm chapter 54, please. Psalm chapter number 54, you know this spirit of Antichrist, it's building up in the world. And the madness of it all, the insanity of it all, is that they know they're turning against God. You know, Lucifer's in the process right now of brainwashing them. Do you understand that, right? He's, he's going to spend at, at least, he's already been spending a few generations, but, but if the Lord tarries, he's going to spend one or two more generations getting this whole world to the point where it was uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Getting this whole world to the point where it was uh, in the days of Noah. Okay? So he's, he's boiling that frog and he's training those children and he's passing that thing down through the generations. Here's one of the ways he's setting it up. I read an article today that said a uh, heat wave coming by 2053 that's going to spread through the Midwest and on down. It gave the pattern because of the jet stream or whatever it is, the pattern of the weather, and it's going to be normal to be 125 degrees. And it's going to be deadly, dangerous, and all the problems it's going to be causing. You know what that's, they know what that's doing? That's setting you up for the tribulation. Because the Bible says it's going, to, it's going to be so hot, the sun's going to be scorching the earth in the tribulation period. That's just one way. All this talk, more and more talk on, on, on reputable news broadcasts about UFOs. You know what that thing's doing? That's just getting you ready for the tribulation. When the gods are going to come down and show up and the Antichrist is going to come like he's Jesus and they're going to say there's extraterrestrial life, all that stuff's just getting us ready. It's just getting these kids ready. It's brainwashing their minds so that when it does finally happen and they're in the tribulation period, they've been told for a long time global warming's coming. The funny thing about that is when it hits them, the Bible says they're cursing God because of the heat. They're going to curse God because of the heat while at the same time deny there is a God. They're going to say, it ain't God, it's global warming. Break you! It's not God, it's global warming. You watch it, all the atheists, all the people that can't stand God, all the kids that make fun of you at school and pick on you for being a Christian and torture you because you won't pop the pills with them because you got a brain in your head. Listen, used to be a time you could grab pills from your friends and get high. Nowadays, kids are dying all over the country because a kid at school gave him a pill he said was a Zoloft or a Vicodin or a Percocet and the stuff's got so much fentanyl in it, kids are dying. Why are you yelling at this preacher? Because I don't want to have to comfort your grief-stricken parents at your funeral because you're stupid. 13-year-old kid found by his grandma 
sunk over his sink in the bathroom, dead. Lips are blue. Skin's a funny color. Dead. Because a kid on the way home from school gave him a pill, said this is going to get you high. You live in an evil day. And these kids are snakes. And when they make fun of you because you say, no, I don't want that, that's a snake. You need to know how to deal with snakes. That's a betraying little snivelly. The people that make fun of you at work and try to shut you up because you're carrying your Bible and talking about Jesus Christ, try to get you in trouble with the boss, they're snakes. Try to tell you that it's unbiblical to discipline your kids. They're snakes. Parents nowadays won't even do their God-given job in the proper way because they're paranoid about somebody else turning snakes. You better know how to deal with snakes. Verse number one, when it comes to dealing with snakes, you better know that there's a saving grace from God. Look at verse one. Save me, O God, by thy name and judge me by thy strength. Now that saving grace, I'm not talking about the salvation of your lost soul. Right? Because just because you use the word save doesn't mean we're talking about salvation from eternity in hell. That's, that's real important to get saved. You must be born again. You, must, you better have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, His death on the cross of Calvary to take away your sin. You better put your faith and trust in that because without that, when you die, you got your sin on yourself. You're, you're still in your sins. Jesus Christ's blood washes away our sins. So when you stand before God... Why should I let you in? You better have a good answer. It's not going to work that way. Don't worry about it. You know what I'm saying. You better have a good answer. The answer better be, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and His blood on the cross of Calvary washed away my sin. It's your Son that saved me. I'm clean because of Jesus, not because of me. Because if you haven't done that, then when you stand before Him, you're still in your sin. That's saving grace, saving from hell. But you know God has more grace than just from hell? God can save you from people. God can save you from oppressors. God can save you from betrayers. God did it for David. God can do it for you. The fear of man, the Bible says, bringeth a snare. You know what he's, he's dealing with in verse number one? He's dealing with these Ziphims. They've got the spirit of Saul. The spirit of Saul is an oppressive spirit. Saul's a manipulating man. He's a wicked man. He's oppressing everybody under, even his own son. Saul is so wicked, he oppresses his own house. I sure hope you're not a Saul. Hey, Daddy, I hope you're not a Saul. Hey, Mama, I hope you're not a Saul. You see, dads do it different than mamas do it. When dad's a Saul, he's an abusive jerk. When mom's a Saul, she's a manipulator. When mom's a Saul, she has ways to punish dad and punish the kids and make everybody miserable. When she's not feeling good, everybody else has to be miserable too. That's an oppressor. You're putting unjust burdens on everybody else around you because you love you and you care about you and your own security and your own feelings and your own wants and your own needs and you don't care about anybody else. That's a snake. That's a, that's a beguiling, wicked person. That's a soul spirit. David had to deal with that. And the closer we get to the Lord's coming, the more we're going to see people like this in the world around us. You better understand that in spite of wicked people, you got a God that can save you from them. 
I am telling you, I do believe the day is coming in our lifetime when it's going to be wrong to say, if you're a sodomite, you're living in sin. You're going to get in trouble for that. I'll bet you anything the day is coming when you're going to lose, some people are going to be losing their jobs because you won't put a rainbow flag up on your desk. How much you want to bet? Now, I hope I'm wrong. But I, I, I'd say this isn't very pertinent to today. Well, it is for some people because some people are trying to witness and some people are letting everybody know they're a Christian and trying to follow Jesus Christ and they're feeling the kickback from their family. They're feeling the kickback from coworkers. They're feeling the kickback from what used to be friends. So it is pertinent for some people, but if you're going to keep serving Jesus Christ and you're really signed up for this thing and you're really not going anywhere, it will be pertinent for you in your lifetime and it's definitely pertinent for these kids. We, we parents better make sure we're staying in tune with what they're going through in school. How was your day? Fine. No, that's not good enough. We're not done. No, it was fine. It's all fine. It's okay. Fine. <laughs> no, I'm your dad. And I want to know how you're doing. And I care. I'm not here just to be mean to you. I need to know how you're doing. And you can trust me. I'm not going to go off half cocked and run in the school and start shooting at everybody. Relax. I'm not going to get you in more trouble. But you do need to talk to me, and we can figure out what's going on. Why? Because if they're trying to do right, I will guarantee you these wicked little snakes nowadays that got the spirit of Antichrist, got no Bible in them at all, are living in some ungodly, hellish environments, are going to come after them when they try to do right. They're oppressors. You know, the sad thing is nowadays you can't even hardly go to church or youth group without somebody being there that's going to rip on you for trying to do right. Well, you better understand God's the one that can save you from them. He calls on the Lord. Notice something about the sensitivity of David. He says, save me, O God, how? By thy name. David didn't say, God, save me because I'm doing right and they're not. He said, save me, God, by your name. Notice something else. And judge me by thy strength. You know what I like about David? David. In the middle of dealing with these wicked, snakish kind of guys. I mean, with Saul on his back, and the men of Ziph, and what had just taken place with the Kenites, and all the rest of what's happening in David's life. He's like, God, save me, please. And then he doesn't start saying, you know what a great man I am. He says, God, save me by your name. Because I'm yours, and I love you, and I know how good you are, and I know you love me, and God... This is a really bad situation, and I got nowhere to turn but to you. Can I just tell you, the blessing of discouragement for me has been when I really get at the bottom of my barrel and there's nowhere else to turn, I got two choices. I can quit, or I throw myself at the feet of God, and I beg Him, and I get to learn some things about His heart, about His character, and about His power that I would have never known if I hadn't got to the bottom. And, and it prepares me for what God has later in my life. You understand what I'm saying? Because later in life, your problems do get bigger. They don't get smaller. <laughs> Believe it or not. But they don't hit you as hard because you know that name you can call on that saved you the last time and you know that he'll save you again. And it's a pretty awesome thing. 
David's not like, why are you doing this to me, God? This isn't fair to me, God. Look at me, God. I'm so spiritual. God, you know me, and you know how much time I spent singing to you out there, and you remember the lion and the bear and Goliath and, and all the victories we had and slain my ten thousands, and Lord, I mean, come on, God. Why are you letting these wicked men? He's just saying, God, please save me from this deal. God, please help me. And then he says, and judge me. <laughs> now, now, he could have been saying that like, because his conscience was so clear, God judged this situation. But he does say, judge me. So that tells you two things. It either tells you that he's opening up and saying, God, if there's something wrong, if I'm somewhat to blame, then show me. Or he's lived so clean in his conscience. He's done so right and he knows that he's saying, God, judge for me. God, judge me. Judge this whole thing. Either way, you know this man is a very sensitive man to the Holy Spirit of God. He's a very sensitive man to right and wrong. He's a very sensitive man to his walk with God and his relationship with God. That he is an open book with God and just says, Lord, judge me and save me by your name when it comes to dealing with snakes you've got to know the saving ability of God from the situation and you won't know that if you aren't sensitive to God yourself because when your conscience is dirty you can't call on God like that and you're going to want to David's not offended at God picking on him That's what I get from that. In other words, he says, judge me, O Lord. He's like, open book, judge me, O Lord, and find fault. He says it in other passages, see if there be any wicked way in me, right? Creating me a clean heart. God, show me, see, search me and try me. He's begging God. He's so sensitive to God. He's saying, Lord, please get in my business and pick me apart. I don't want to mess up. I want to get better at what I'm doing. I want to be closer to you. I want you to get me through all this. God, please pick me apart. Man, we need some Christians like that. You know, it's, it's, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's tough being a pastor, and I'm not saying that like it's so tough being a pastor. I'm saying it's a, bad, it's a tough situation because people, you know, I, I want your advice. No, you don't. No, you don't. I want to know what you think. No, you don't. You want me to say what you want me to say. Look, it's not just people. I know preachers like that. I know I've been like that. You know, the other day, somebody was executing a takedown and doing a phenomenal job. You know, he's fairly new, but he's strong, and he's young, and he's athletic, and he's trying to blast through a guy and do a takedown. And the coach ripped his face off. I mean, ripped his face off. What? What? What did I do? And I, and I knew what the coach was ripping his face off about. Because he's ripped my face off about the same thing a long time ago. And I said, thank you. He said, hey, don't put your head on that side when you're doing a double leg. You're going to break your neck. He said, my friend in Brazil will never walk again. He's a paraplegic. You want to be a paraplegic? He should have added, stupid Don't correct me. I'm doing really good. Look how strong and athletic I am. What do you mean? It worked. Yeah, you got lucky, stupid. So offended. Don't correct. Don't judge me. Don't look at me. Don't correct me. Okay, break your neck, dummy. Tough guy. See what I'm saying? People don't really want God to... You're being so picky. 
Why you got to pick on every little thing? Why you got to pick on my head positioning? Because it doesn't look like a big deal to you. But if you keep doing that sooner or later, when you do that, all of your body weight, his body weight, and the momentum lands right on the top of your head. And if your spine is crooked like that, it will snap your neck. And if it snaps your neck, your legs won't work ever again. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it's a little thing, isn't it? It's a little thing that might have major repercussions down the road the rest of your cotton-picking life. You want God to save you from wicked men and from the serpent and the spirit of the serpent that's in the people around you, then you go ahead and be sensitive to God and you let God come up and say, "This is. can I just give you a little bit of constructive criticism? Can you just think about making a little tweak in your life? Might make a big difference. You need to know the saving grace of God and realize that even though you're the one trying to serve Him and therefore getting attacked because of it, that that wonderful God will look at you in the middle of all of that and He will, watch the quotations, pick on you. He'll pick on you to make you better while He's letting unbelievably wicked people do unbelievably wicked things and seemingly, at the moment, seemingly get away with it. But if you really love God, you're sensitive to Him, and when He shows you you're doing something this, this much wrong, then you go, oh God, thanks for showing me that. Help me to fix that thing. You're not going, well, what about them? You're going, judge me, God, and save me according to your name, and show me what I can do better, and show me what I'm doing wrong, and help me get through this. You better know the saving grace of God. Number two, you need to know the strength of God. Verse number two, he says, Hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. In verse 4, the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. You know what he's doing in verses 2 and 3? He's praying. You know what you need to learn to do right now? Because I am telling you, there's more and more of these snakes out there, and the spirit of the devil is, is, seems to be accelerating in this world. And I know it not by voodoo and witchcraft because that stuff is demonic. You do know that, right? Hypnotism. You are getting sleepy. That stuff is demonic. You know that, right? Tarot cards. Your horoscope. What, what is your, your uh, what's the, the, the month thing? Your sign, yeah, your zodiac sign, you know, all that stuff. All that stuff is demonic. You know that, right? You guys don't let that stuff in your house, do you? You know better than all that. It's very demonic. Get all that garbage. You know, most of that rock and roll stuff you're listening to and all that stuff, that stuff's real demonic. Gets real quiet sometimes, you guys. Maybe I need to preach on this a little bit. You know what true Luciferianism is? Humanism. Me, 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 me. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's the I will. It's the selfish, narcissistic, I want what I want, and I deserve what I want, and I'm going to get what I want no matter who I got to slaughter to get it. That's demonic. Never bowing the knee to Lucifer, selling your soul in blood, or any of the rest of the weirdo stuff. It's very demonic. 
And that's why you got such a messed up generation of people because all they care about is themselves. Care nothing about, rip your little brother, your little sister to shreds with your mouth. Just, just belittle them and torture them and make them feel terrible. Make fun of the fat kid at school. Make fun of the ugly kid at school. Make fun of the dumb kid at school. Just That's all okay. Just torture them so that they don't even want to walk into school. They got all kinds of anxiety just getting out of the car and trying to get into school because the way you treat them, that's a demonic spirit. You ought to, you ought to have a taste of your own medicine for a little while, especially if you're the cool kid. I can't, I can't stand a bully. I hate him. You're not supposed to hate. God said, Jacob, as I love, have I loved, and Esau, have I hated. Hate doesn't always mean you want people to die. You understand? It, it can mean, the definition of the word means a very, very strong disdain or dislike. You do understand that. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, please. He needs the strength of God. You know, David learned anytime he ran to God, he pulled through. You study his life. David is my favorite Bible character, and I've considered it very, very extensively before I've made that decision. But I really believe David, in all of the Bible, other than Jesus Christ or Paul, you know, all the Old New Testament characters, David's my favorite character. David, whenever he ran to God first, he didn't make a mistake. Whenever he was in a bad spot and it looked like a life-ending spot, and he got to God, God pulled him through. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is what's going on when he writes... I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 23. I told you 16. It's 23, 16. This is when he writes this psalm. And, and back up in verse number 1, remember uh, the Philistines fight against Keliah? And, and he goes down and delivers Keliah, and then he asks God. Um, in verse number uh, 7, it was told Saul that David was come to Keliah. Called Saul said, God delivered him into my hand, for he shut in by entering into a town that had gates and bars, Right? Saul called all the people together, verse 8, to war, to go down to Keliah and besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him, and he sent to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. Now, Abiathar came to him in the last chapter, right? That was chapter 22, and Abiathar shows up and comes down to David and says, Hey, guess what? Doeg slew all my father's house, and he's the only one that escaped, right? And he went down to David. Then, then you're in verse number 20. So it's the same layout as Psalm 52, 53, 54. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? This is the storyline. So then in verse number 10, David says, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant has certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keliah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keliah deliver me up into his hand? God, God I just helped these guys out. I mean, I'm good, right? They, they wouldn't do something like that, would they, Lord? I'm close to them, Lord. I mean... You know what God's getting ready to show him? God's getting ready to show him when everybody betrays you, I can take care of you. He's going to need that in Ziklag. The lesson he's learning here, he doesn't know he's going to need that lesson in Ziklag. When some people even closer to him turn on him and plan on stoning him. His own boys. His own brothers. God answers him in verse number 11. Uh, He says, in verse number 11, he calls out to God. Uh, in verse number, in verse number, uh, no, verse 10, he calls out, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant has certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keliah to destroy the city for my sake. Verse 11, will the men of Keliah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? And God answers him here, O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then said David, will the men of Keliah deliver me up? Me, me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. 
Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Kiliah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David escaped from Kiliah and he forbear to go forth. David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. See that? And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek him, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. Now look at verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. Look at verse 19. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood in the hill of Hakaliah, which is south of Jeshimon? The Ziphites went to Saul and betrayed him. So you'll notice in verse 16, Jonathan comes and strengthens his hand. But back in verses 10 and 11, David seeks to God. Go back to Psalm 54 and let me show you how those plug in here. Look at Psalm 54, verse 2. He says, Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. You know what David's doing? He's calling out to God because he's in a bad spot. The men of Kiliah are going to deliver him up. God tells him. He runs down to Ziph, and the men of Ziph go and sneak and try to turn him in to Saul while they have him out there in their strongholds. They're around the campfire. They're cooking dinner. They're hanging out. Everything's cool. We got you, man. Everything's fine. You can hide out with us. David and his men are here. Nobody's messing with us when David and his men are here. And the captain's over there like, hey, listen, I need you guys to get down there to Saul and let him know because we're going to really gain from this one. We're going to turn him in. We're going to let him know what they believe. We're going to let him know what they stand for. We're going to make sure we set him up and get him in trouble. You know what David had to know? He had to know the saving grace of God, and he had to know the strength of God. And I am telling you, folks, the strength of God to get you through the troubled times comes from your prayer life. You better be praying. Because I'm telling you right now, when you get on your face and you call out to God and you learn to pray, God will direct you, God will show you things, God will lead you, and might save your life from destruction by you spending some time on your knees trying to get a hold of God. You better learn to pray. I pray daily for my daughters because they're going to have the biggest decisions of their life coming up in the next few years, Lord willing. And you sure want to be saved from the destruction of marrying the wrong guy. So he calls out to God in prayer. And then he talks about strangers risen up against him. Verse 3, we read that. And look at, behold, God is mine helper. The Lord will up, uh, the, the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Well, that was verse number 16. You know what's happened? You know what happened? Jonathan showed up. You know what God did? I'm talking about the strength of God. You have to know the strength of God. Not only does it come from your prayer life, but then God sends people your way. Did you hear me? God sent David, Jonathan. Jonathan comes there and meets with David in verse number 16. And man, something spiritual happened there. Something godly took place. Something where a brother came that wasn't suffering like he was, but showed up in his suffering. Hey, listen, God will use your brothers. God will use your church family. God will use other people, godly people, to help you out when you're down and out, when the snakes are coming after you. You need the strength of God. And the strength of God comes from other people around you that love God like you love God that'll be there for you in your trouble. And that's exactly why the devil tries to cut you away from church. Do you hear me? It's exactly why he tries to get you offended about stupid stuff. Like stupid stuff. Offended like a childish, unspiritual person that's not in the Bible would get offended. Just, just dumb stuff. 
Just, I think that wasn't meant to be. Did you notice it? Just, just stupid. That's just the dumbest stuff. It comes out of left, left field sometimes. Listen, when the real problems of life hit, it's amazing to watch God's grace show up and give God peep, God's people the grace to get through the big problems. It's most of the time not the big problems that get you out of the race. It's usually something stupid that comes out of left field that you never expected at a good time in your life right after a victory. Something dumb happens. That's how how you know it's demonic and you're not as spiritual as you thought you were. Because at the strangest times, the stupidest things will hit you and the devil's trying to cut you away from the flock because the strength of God comes from being together. And David learned that and you and I need it. Notice another one. If you're going to survive the snakes, you better understand the sword of God. Look at verse 5. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off. In thy truth. You see it? You know what that is? That's the word of God. He said, he shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. Thy word is what? Oh. When he comes back, there's a name written on his thigh, which is what? It's the word of God. And a two-edged sword comes out of his mouth and starts lopping off heads, right? It's the word of God. You better understand that book is very, very important when it comes to dealing with the snakes. It's unbelievable to me. I already told you about it, so I won't spend any time on it. It's unbelievable to me that I can walk through a hotel lobby like this. Just like this. And get the dirtiest look from snakes. Now listen. I want you to understand something. I want you to please understand this. I don't hate them. I'm not attacking them. They're blind. I've never beat up a blind guy. Never in my life have I punched a blind guy in the face. I've punched other people in the face, but I've never punched a blind guy in the face. Ever. Nor would I. You know why? Yeah. <laughs> Jim whispered it. They're blind. You know, we as Christians spend too much time punching blind people in the face, beating up on the liberals, beating up on the homosexuals, beating up on the transvestites, beating up on everybody everywhere we go all the time because they're just so crazy and this world's lost its mind and these kids nowadays, and they are blind. I know it makes you feel really good to be able to punch a blind person in the face, but it doesn't make me feel good. They're blind. They need what we have. I have no need to attack them, but I will tell you what they will do to you. They will attack you because they don't get it. Jesus Christ said it himself. He said, you're of your father, you're a devil. You're of your father, the devil. The lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. He's a liar and the father of it. Well, so if they don't have Jesus Christ as their savior, they're doing the works of the flesh, the works that the devil would have them to do, which is what he was doing at the beginning when he tempted Eve, which was stop doing what God wants you to do and start doing what I want, which is what you want. Because I, I know how to get you to do what I want. That is give you what you want. And you play right into the, Do you understand what I'm saying? They're not the enemy, but you are their enemy. But they're not your enemy. You follow that? Ain't that hard? That's a hard message. I don't have to scream, stomp, spit, snort, yell, say anything insulting to preach that message super hard. That's a super hard message. You're their enemy, but they're not your enemy. Welcome to the fight. 
They're shooting at you, but you're not supposed to shoot back. Welcome to the fight. Because this thing is spiritual. So while they're coming after you, do you ever stop and think, I wonder if God will ever let me win that person that tortures me the most to Jesus Christ? I wonder if that guy that doesn't like me will ever wind up being my best friend because God will let me lead him to Christ, help him out, and disciple him. Talking about another level, folks. And it's a level that we got to get. You understand me? we got to get that level. If we're going to reach people in this generation, if we're going to grow as a church, if you're going to reach your family members, your friends, your coworkers, kids at school, whatever else, we got to get to that level. we got to recognize the power of God Almighty and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he's praying an imprecatory prayer back here in the Old Testament, but you're of a different spirit. Do you remember the boys with the Lord? Should we call down fire from heaven? They're thinking like Elijah. Elijah did consume the 50 with the soldier with the 50, the other soldier with the 50, the third one comes and bows, he doesn't do it. Remember that? That's what they're thinking. He says, you know not what spirit you're of. We're still, we're still getting the fire going, but it's a different way. It's a spiritual way. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know what you need to do? You need to know the power of that book. To be able to take the Bible and get it right in their conscience, get it right in their heart. Take the Bible and be able to minister to them with a Bible. Answer some questions with a Bible. A word fitly spoken with a Bible. Timing, a sense of timing. You've got to get a sense of timing. You understand that? When it comes to soul winning, you've got to get a sense of timing. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit of God to give you the spirit of discernment, the gift of discernment, so that you can see when the timing is right. And when you see that shot, you've got to take it. You've got, you got to get trained. You've got to ask God to help you. When you see the opening, you've got to relax and you've got to let it go. You've got to get it. You understand what I'm saying? Sense of timing. You've got to know the power of the sword when you're dealing with snakes. When you're dealing with people making fun of you, you kids got people making fun of you at school and all that stuff, you need to pray about a sense of timing. You need to ask God to help you to be able to get a Bible verse in there at the right time. You know, sometimes I use Bible on people, they don't know I'm doing it. I did it just today. I said, be careful, man. Pride goes before a fall, right? Walked away. <laughs> He's like, yeah. <laughs> he didn't know what to do. He said, it's so nice with the smile, you know. <laughs> you know what you do? Just as much as you can, you just quote a Bible verse, and they don't even know you're quoting Bible verses sometimes, but it sticks. Shocking how powerful. It's shocking how powerful that book in your lap is. It's shocking how powerful. It's amazing how powerful that book is. You can just go like this when you're in that environment and their spirit is kind of running the show in that area. You can just go like this and you can just watch them, sir. I wanted to so bad, man. That one guy was looking at me. I came in. I was tired. It was late. And he's, he stopped talking to the person he was talking to and he's all. And I wanted to, I looked at him. I stared at him. He stared at me. I just kept walking, but I wanted to go. I guarantee you he'd have jumped through the roof. I guarantee you. That's a powerful book, man. You you find me a book anywhere you carry like that and have people stop talking and stare you down until you're out of sight. Just at the presence of that book. You understand there's a spirit about this thing. It's a spirit of God and it's powerful. You need to be in it. My last point so we can go. The sacrifice that the man of God makes When the serpents are all around him, look at verse 6. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, 
and mine eye hath seen his desire upon my enemies. It's a sacrifice he makes. He says, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. That's a weird thing to think of in this moment in David's life. Do you know why? Because God has not yet delivered him. Think about that. He's crying out to God for deliverance. And God hasn't delivered him, so he's not saying, God, once you do this, then I'm going to sacrifice to you. Because that's a purchase. He says, the sacrifice I'm giving to you is free. You don't have to do anything for me. You've already done everything for me that ever has to be done. I'm not asking for a thing out of you, God. I'm giving you a sacrifice and I'm giving it to you for free because I love you and I'm thankful for what you've already done and I just, I just want to give you this. You deserve it. A free sacrifice. Look at the next verse. He does it in faith. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble. That's past tense, right? So right now in this bad situation that's not working out his way, he's freely given God sacrifice from a pure heart with nothing in return because he loves God. And he's, he loves him based on faith, but that faith has some experience to it. He hath delivered me out of all trouble. So since God's done for me throughout my life what he's already done, then I know in this situation, it, it, God, I know him. I just I know him, right? So I can, I can trust him. I, I'm, I'm thankful for him. I got faith in him. And I know mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. He's seeing it by faith in the present because he's seen what he's done in the past. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, it takes faith today to know God's going to take care of you in your current situation and whatever's coming in your future that God's going to take care of it. It takes some faith, but there's faith there based on a free sacrifice. Like, I'm just going to sacrifice to you anyhow because I, I know what he has done. Listen, did God save your soul from hell? He washed you in his blood of the blood, a precious blood of his son, and saved your soul from a devil's hell. Well, if he did that, you can't trust him with your life? Let me just say this. You're a fool if you don't trust him with your life. You're, you're an absolute fool. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm telling you the truth. You're an absolute fool if you won't give your life to God and trust Him with your life and trust Him to take care of you and trust Him when you're dealing with snakes that He'll take care of them if you stick with Him. And no wonder God winds up delivering David. Actually, we're in Psalm, 1 Samuel chapter 23. We're not that far from the end of the book of 1 Samuel. And when you wrap up the book of 1 Samuel, Saul is dead. And by 2 Samuel chapter 2, David's sitting on a throne in Hebron as the king of Judah. It's a good thing he didn't give up right now, isn't it? It's a good thing he put his faith in God when he was dealing with snakes, isn't it? If David can do that in the Old Testament without the Holy Spirit of God and without the Son of God, having, having circumcised him with the circumcision made without hands and all the rest of the great things you and I got, if he can do it back there, you can do it now. But you've got to know the saving grace of God, the strength of God, the sword of God, and a sacrifice from your spirit to God, which is, Lord, I'm serving you, and I'm giving it all to you right now, and trusting you to get me through and deal with them. And I am telling you, He will. All right, let's go ahead and close there and with a word of prayer tonight. No invitation.